Welcome, welcome to episode number 23 of Horns Up. I'm still sick. What about you, Peter? I'm surviving. <laughs> That's how <laughs> well I'm going to put it at. <coughs> yeah, a lot of coughing, etc. from my side this episode as well. So it's good that no listeners are in front of us because I would have surely infected you. I'm I'm surviving, that's why. <laughs> yeah, but that's also because you have a nice pop filter in front of your face and your mic. So that's shielding you from germs. I can imagine like how you see those ads in which you see those germs going through filters, but the filter is blocking 99% of them because they can't say that they block 100% of them because that's false advertising. Anyways. Now you know why, what we do in our day jobs. Right? Yeah. Okay, so Peter... Uh, we have uh, Dan Swano on the podcast today. Oh yeah, I'm really excited uh, about this. Yeah, Dan Swano, he is a metalhead extraordinaire and producer extraordinaire, master mixer extraordinaire, sound engineer extraordinaire, uh, very good at chilling his merch extraordinaire. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, th- the strange part is, is that even if you didn't know who Dan Swano was... You definitely have heard him if you're a metalhead. Yeah, like he's had some influence. You've heard one of his... If you've not heard of him as a musician, you've heard some of his work that he's done. I mean, just for those of you who still have CDs, just open one of the CD inlays and you'll find his name in that one of your favorite Yeah, albums. or just log on to his website and go through all the various oh, yeah. artists he's done work for. That, yeah. was, that was some crazy... That crazy was some crazy shit. Yeah. Okay, uh, but before we get into Dan, we're going to be talking a lot about um, not only his life as a metalhead, but also about the metal sound and what is the definition of a metal sound and how do you uh, listen to metal? Like, is there a correct way of listening to metal? So before we get into that, Peter, uh, how do you consume your metal these days? Most of the time, uh because now I spend a significant amount of my day traveling. Uh-huh. It's when I'm traveling. Okay. And since and I travel. So, yeah. So since you travel in a packed train. And the only way I can block out all the other sounds that's there is I'm listening to it on my headphones. Okay. So what kind of headphones? Do you use noise canceling things? Do you yeah. boost the bass? Do you keep your treble low? Do you scoop your mids? Uh, do you use equalizer rock settings? Do you use dance settings I don't know none of that fancy stuff I just plug and play (laughs) okay all right so is that the only way you consume metal or at home do you have at home so like different system or something of that sort so when I'm writing uh, reviews or just kind of like doing research on the artists that we are interviewing on the show and stuff like that I'm listening to it mostly on my laptop but then again I've never been one of those audiophile kind of people mm-hmm. primarily because I never had the money to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah. the most expensive thing I bought was probably a pair of headphones and then yeah it got busted and it broke my heart so Ouch. yeah <laughs> so yeah but uh, on the serious note for me I feel that In the end of the day, no matter what kind of headphones you have or what kind of settings you're listening to, if the music is great, it's great. And there's nothing else that can kind of change about it. Because if an album can sound great on a 5,000 rupee or 10,000 rupee pair of headphones, they should equally sound 
uh, as good on a few hundred rupee headphones. I know yeah. audiophiles are cringing and looking at me, but uh, essentially that's the way. And I mean, you know, we get into the whole thing uh, with Dan, so I'm not going to give too much away. But for me, yes, in as somebody who's been listening to metal over the last so many years, there is a huge loudness issue in there. And I mean, we talked briefly about yeah. the Baroness album where I had an issue with the production. And then no matter how great the music, it's just the production that you just cannot stand. Hmm. What about you, Animesh? Okay, so first I'm going to react to what you just said about the production aspect versus the song aspect. And I agree with you, but I agree with you partially. Uh, I'm not an audiophile by any means. Okay, I don't... I, I like I'm not that learned and my ears aren't that superbly well tuned where I can spot a decibel level difference yeah. or something uh, of that sort. Yeah, but um I have noticed that uh with really good production it completely changes your sonic experience of a song. Joke. So for example, if you listen to Rage Against the Machine or Tool, um or even say the deftones or or okay let's not let's move away from alternative metal as such and even if you listen to like um say the the Triptychon album good production manages to envelop you into a particular soundscape and it helps elevate the song a lot um you start finding these nuances you start finding a different like you you'll understand why uh the floor tom has been changed or the snare drum has been changed for one particular song uh why a guitar sandy feels different uh etc etc so in that aspect yes does the song eventually is that the be all and end all yes but at the same time production does matter um, oh yeah no no i and where i'm coming from i mean i'm going to add an example to that do you remember the time where there were super audio cds yeah which were like ridiculously priced yeah did you ever listen to them because i don't know what was so super about the super audio <laughs> in that so um i largely only switched over to portable listening devices uh say maybe during my first years of college yeah same right so till then i was only consuming music largely at home or on my aiva walkman i didn't have a sony walkman i had an aiva walkman aiva uh <laughs> and because my parents were huge sound buffs uh we had a pretty good hi-fi system or hi-fi as swano likes to call it i could tell that there was something different because so the the first couple of albums that i that i uh, actively would keep on listening back to a lot was anthrax and uh, um annihilator's alice in chains no sorry uh, alice in hell fuck yeah uh, and i later alice in hell and those two sound very different because of the way they're produced true then eventually i found uh, the remastered or eventually i bought the remastered version of that sound of perseverance now till this time i've only heard sound of perseverance through my laptop etc right so it has that sonic uh, template for me the my first listen of the remaster i didn't enjoy it at all on the speaker system because it just sounded so different right the bass is a bit higher etc etc you notice the nuances a bit more and i'm like holy shit the song is being screwed up but it's actually not 
but then when you listen to it on headphones later uh you're like oh my god this is actually the way it should have sounded in the first place so that's one thing um at the moment i consume most of my music either during a commute or through headphones largely uh i've almost stopped listening to music on speakers because at home i've understood that nobody likes to listen to their music as loud as i like it <laughs> so is the comfort of my headphones is the comfort of my uh whatever i don't know what you call them those ear fuckers uh in ears yeah i call them ear fuckers yeah whatever yeah and obviously i have my brand preferences overall i like my music to be slightly more warm rather than cold so i can't take that uh, skull candy type yeah, sound that's horrible it doesn't go with metal at all yeah so uh, because i've been somebody who constantly like runs through headphones a lot uh-huh. i've kind of picked which brands exactly right and yeah, i think we all that have comes our preferences and and over a period of time in that and yeah we i do my tests f- to listen to because yeah. again you listen to a certain which song, song is your guru song for a test oh man so there used to be a time where and this album is one of my favorites so i'd listen to between the buried and me okay the colors album uh-huh. just pick any song on there uh-huh because again it's just the production and just the way that the kind of song goes with like listening to one song itself is like listening to three or four songs of another <laughs> album literally yeah. there's so much going yeah. on in there so yeah i i listen to a lot of that uh then sometimes i listen to like say older stuff like say maybe some led zeppelin or uh, okay. black sabbath just to kind of see because again the production is so different from back then uh, i think once i tested out something listening to even uh, jimi hendrix <laughs> <laughs> but yeah what about you What's what about me uh, my go to songs are from the first rage against the machine album Okay. The fucking outstanding production and True. it's so very well mixed, so well mastered, so well balanced. Um I've used it not only for my own earphones and for my personal things, but I've done very amateurish sound engineering at live venues. So even for that to test out the differences between to test out the PA system, test the on stage sound, etc., etc. Yeah. And obviously <laughs> it's a great song to play out loud and play course, out live because immediately people go like what the fuck is that <laughs> yeah i love it ha <sighs> well we we've, we've talked for quite some time now yeah. and uh, i guess this is just a bit of preparation for this interview which goes on for an excruciatingly long time okay maybe excruciatingly is not the right word because it's actually a very enjoyable chat yeah. and it is a chat it's not an interview at all i felt like dan was in the was just sitting next to us and it ended up uh, we ended up having some technical issues at first which is why there's a lot of references to just Skype. bad wi-fi <laughs> bad wi-fi <laughs> <and> Skype <laughs> bad wi-fi at his end not even our end so <laughs> third world india oh no it's not third world india this time anyways yeah. dan thank you so much for doing this with yeah. us and uh, without further ado here's dan swano <laughs> All right, and I'm really glad to introduce onto our show none other than Dan Swano. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really an honor and a pleasure for us to have you on the show. Uh really glad you could take time out 
from your schedule and join us. Yeah, I'm happy, happy that someone still gives a fuck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for letting us introduce you for the third time. I mean, it's pretty ironic <laughs> that we had sound difficulties with talking to a sound extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah. I've been working with, with a recording for like 30 years, so I know that it's, it's sometimes not, not working straight away, you know, so it's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, here in the Honza podcast, uh, with most of our guests, what we also, in addition to talk to what they're currently working on, we also just like to take, let them take us back to their early days. So, Dan, if we can just kind of jog your memory, tell us, do you come from a musical family? And tell us what your earliest musical memory is. Yeah, I definitely come from a musical family. Um in in the sense that that uh, both my my mother and father they were very like into music there was always records there were instruments and my father dabbled a bit on on the guitar and um also my mother i know she played some piano when she was young but um it was definitely my 10 year older brother dog who kind of got me hooked on on that stuff because uh, because of the age difference when he was around 15 and I was five and he was rehearsing with his his band in the living room I was then a little fanboy you know and and seeing his his development and all the different bands and getting in the local paper and playing gigs or whatever I just like any little brother you know I just wanted to be like him and um, that kind of set me on the path and um, we actually had a band together uh, because there is one even older brother called Ingald and um, we three had had a band Mm-hmm. Um, I think we started in like 1978 when I was like five, five years old or something like this, five, six. So, um, yeah, there was always music around and, um, my earliest music memory is, um, I think when, when, uh, my oldest brother and, and dog, my other brother, they, they played me the Rubinos as a track called Peekaboo. And, um, from what I remember, I cannot have been more than just a few years old. And it's one one of those kind of funny songs. And uh, yeah, th- that's what I think is my earliest kind of memory at all, to be honest. So right. uh, what was the kind of music you listened to in your childhood? Like, was it just whatever you were exposed to or were you actively seeking out, I don't know, some kind of a taste? Did you, Because there was so much music around you, did you kind of develop interests towards a particular sounds or something of that sort? I would say that that um, in some ways both my brothers are are to blame for what I like to call my musical DNA. And th- there's just stuff that you're exposed to at an early age, and and that's just what happens, you know. And and luckily for me, they were playing me really good stuff really early on because my oldest brother he was always like finding out all the bands that later became really successful. He kind of found them on the first or the second record, or in some cases, even on the first EP and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I was exposed to, to the early Judas Priest stuff, early Kiss, uh, bands like Moxie and Dust and stuff like that in, in the early days. And then uh, my oldest brother moved away. And then around kind of the, the end of the 70s, um, my other brother got more involved in, in the progressive rock scene. And... Um, I kind of grew up with his mixtapes um, okay. and and he he did some kind of he, he took he took the songs from all the biggest progressive rock bands that there is, 
but the ones that were most like 10-year-old kid-friendly, you know, not the weirdest stuff, you know. So um, some kind of, of like a prog light meets pomp rock meets like symphonic rock. And that's that's just where my heart is. And I, I don't really shy away from that genre when it gets a little bit heavier because I still have that Judas Priest and Kiss and Dust and, and Moxie and that old style. You know, so a combination of the two, maybe like 80% prog light and pomp and then 20% really dark hard rock. That That's really what I am, you know, and I, I stayed true to that path for um, a pretty long time. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't until maybe, I think at the mid eighties, we had a show on Swedish radio uh, called Rockbox that I know a lot of my uh, colleagues, you know, in, in all the bands out of Sweden, they all listened to this. We had yeah. only that one yeah. hour in the week. And we got exposed to to anything from the early uh, German speed thrash to to doom. You know, so many bands I heard for the first time that was on Rockbox, and I kind of kind of realized, oh oh, my brother would never approve of this. None of my brothers would because this is too fast and too hard and too heavy. So I got kind of excited about that, but but I didn't really have the guts to to go all in and buy the stuff because I was still at at the age where where I think when my brother would just make fun of me for buying the latest uh, heavy metal record that he thought sucked that that would that would uh, hit me really hard so i just kind of didn't have the guts you know but a little bit later i i worked up the courage to to buy some of the stuff that he kind of didn't approve of because i had grown a little bit older and um, he was getting more and more into weird like jazz and stuff and that's when i bought then the the more um like maybe what normal teenagers listen to that didn't grow up on prog, like uh, I bought the Wasp stuff, I bought, you know, that got, you know, kind of a little bit in sync with, with my age. And um, yeah, that's what eventually led then into the whole world of, of thrash and speed and, and stuff. That's very fascinating. Now, um, I, I, I have two follow-ups uh, as such, reacting to your answers. The first one being, uh, you're exposed to so much uh, prog music as a 10-year-old kid. Um, do you remember how you reacted to that music? Obviously, your brothers your brothers are the ones who are showing you this stuff. So obviously, you're taking it as, wow, I'm cool because I'm listening to their music. But beyond that, what was this music doing to you? Would you remember? Yeah, it was... Uh... I especially remember there was a, was a time when, when my mother left to go to school. So she was never there uh, during the week. And it was for me as kind of a mom, mama's boy, a pretty hard blow. So so I, I would I would listen to this um, mixtape that my brother made me, or mixtapes, he made, made several. And um, I would just listen to them all the time when I was, was falling asleep. And the music was so kind of... It was extremely different. I mean, I, I do love the, the Sad Wings of Destiny and Sin After Sin also from Judas Priest because that too created imagery, you know, especially mm -hmm. when you looked at the album covers. Exactly. kind of scared yeah. you a bit. But but I had no idea really what, what the music was that he taped me. Uh, but, but I do now later. There was Asia from the first record. There was a lot of Kansas. There was Mike Oldfield. There was Genesis, Gentle Giant, UK. Um, and he taped me the stuff that, that he felt could, could work, you know, not the most weird stuff. But I, I just remember falling in love with this because the music was so unconventional. It was not really 
I mean, sometimes he, he just taped me this uh, incantations from Mike Oldfield, which is instrumental all mm -hmm. the way through. And, and you just, your mind went places and yeah. you went to some kind of imaginary dreamland through music. And I guess that kind of shaped me to no matter what kind of music I listen to, I need to get some emotional thing out of it even if yeah. i'm being pissed or happy or sad but music that just leaves me blank like i just didn't listen to anything it, it doesn't really matter if it's my favorite band who released something if it doesn't do anything for me i'm not gonna listen and just say oh please be good i know pretty early on that that song is never gonna do anything for me just like a movie or you know any kind of of connection and uh that that was the thing about those t songs that he taped me. Uh, I would say that that almost all those records are now on my top twenty list of all time because it it really created me and my music taste and my values. And uh, yeah, he was a, a badass mixtape making guy. That's for sure. That's uh, awesome. Okay, uh, uh, so uh, the second follow up I had over here was you mentioned that you were that you discovered metal and. For some reason, uh, you didn't. Uh, you immediately said that um, I didn't want to sh share it with with people because I didn't know how they would react because they wouldn't. So what I'm trying to get at is, was metal looked down upon as such in your uh, household? I think to, to be to be really honest, in the early earliest of times, there was really no heavy metal. Yeah, I cannot, okay. I mean, it was so early on that, that they discovered that kind of stuff. And I think they, um, they, they kind of liked the bands that would later turn into heavy metal bands, but they actively stopped liking them at certain points, either when they went to commercial or, or to metal or whatever, because I, I didn't really have a problem with stuff that was a little bit harder and faster and so, but uh, my oldest brother, definitely, he, he stopped liking all bands after the first. He liked the first three Rush records, the first Kiss records, only the early Priest, you know, and then he's super, super, like nothing else, only the early stuff, you know, with almost all the bands. And and my brother could be uh, also a little bit conservative to to this, but there was definitely no love there for uh, stuff like Screaming for Vengeance or Defenders of the Faith from, from Judas Priest. They didn't like that at all, you know? So they kind of gave me the, the, the LP. Ah, this, I cannot listen to this shit. It's, it's too fast or it's too noisy or whatever. So, but, but I got it. And for me, they were kind of new records that, that came out at the time. And I still remember sitting playing with Lego and listening to Defenders of the Faith and thinking this is the best thing ever, you know? And and that green cassette just went all the time. I just kind of rewind it and just kind of listen to it all over again. And uh, I guess I I was more um, I I could receive that the whole the whole heavy metal thing a little bit more than they because they kind of came from they kind of grew up with the movement going from blues into hard rock and then all kind of shifting into heavy metal or to more like super commercial rock than later on. You know, they, they just like that working man's rock that they all played in the beginning. So uh -huh. yeah, it was, and my brothers, like I said, he went really early with, with the whole prog thing. So he just didn't really care at all. Also, there's, there's always a certain age where people say, I don't like what I listen to 
two years ago anymore at all. Yeah. I sell all my records. I listen now only to this genre, you know. And then when you meet them later on, it's oh, I I wish I didn't sell all my old records because <laughs> now you know I I it's okay to not like only jazz fusion or whatever. You can actually listen to hard rock and jazz fusion. But I know this, you know. I was also this kind of death metal elitist for a while and said it's only this kind of music all other music sucks and yeah. at least that was my my official statement you know uh, but We've all yeah, been it was so. yeah yeah that's yeah. how it is you know? that's how it is just just to stay on the topic for a bit uh you talked about you know and that's it's a great image of like you listening to like uh judas priest while playing with lego uh what was it about metal that really attracted you um I mean, I I get you, you talking about your brothers and stuff, but what do you think really attracted you compared to you know your brothers who were looking into more progressive music and stuff like that? I think I mean um, I I was um, I got my first drum kit when I was six, so th Ooh. this was a little bit before this, and I actively played drums and I started bands with all the neighbors and also like with my brothers and so and from from the time when when you know, when things got a little bit more heavy metal, you, you had more drumming, you know? And I always, when I look back, I loved songs like Let Us Pray or Call for the Priest. So with Judas Priest, with, with Simon Phillips playing double mm. bass drums, pretty mm. much, you know, it was faster. It was more drumming, also Exciter from Judas Priest. And, and, and with Kiss, I just love the Creatures of the Night and that stuff with that big ass drum sound, you know? So yeah. as the stuff got a little bit darker, even on those kind of hard rock, I kind of had a, I liked being, uh, somehow being, being scared of music, scared from music. I don't know what to say. It really, it's like, it made you feel like you listened to a horror thing, you know, yeah. it made you feel a little bit uneasy. So, um, a little bit later on, I just went all in for Merciful Fate because they were at the time the most evil thing I could ever think of. They were like Satanists and it was all evil and, and the imagery and the music felt so completely, it was still a little bit like Jewish Priest, but then also not. And that was just right down my alley, you know, that whole, that whole thing. And I think there is still something to it that, that, um, like I said before, I like to feel things when I listen to music and, and being scared and, and feel that feeling like, oh, is someone behind me now? Or, oh, you know, you get that like strange vibe. When you get that from music, it's just spot on. And I think in, in so many ways, the drumming that, that got more intricate, faster and stuff. And just that it was more of that um, vibe. And also the image got a little bit harder. You know, the guys got more than in with, with, the, with the leather and the, all the spikes and whatnot, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I kind of liked it because I loved Kiss and, and I was always kind of, when Kiss took the makeup off, it was like a little bit like, ah, oh, fuck, what we do now then, you know? <laughs> and then, then bands like Wasp came along and of course, Merciful Fate with King Diamond wearing makeup. And um, yeah, you just started searching. I still remember uh, discovering Mötley Crüe. I saw Live Wire on TV. I was like, fuck, they have at least a bit makeup in the face and there's fire <laughs> and this guy's boots on fire and... You know, that was just like, wow. But there was still something that was like, if you look at the imagery on the first Wasp record, for example, the yeah. music is so much softer than the imagery suggests. Yeah. You know, I bought that record and I was expecting like white noise with just screaming demon 
kind of music. And all you get is like, I wanna be somebody. I think, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> so it wasn't really on until I got into Merciful Fate and 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 even a little bit later on when you first heard stuff like Death and Obituary. And so like, here uh, we are. This, this is matching the cover artwork, finally, you know? And yeah, and yeah it, it took a little bit time before, before the brutality of of the imagery of some bands, they looked like they were demons straight from hell, but the music was just basic hard rock. And I, I yeah. rather have the opposite, you know, like, like when you see a picture of death on the, on the back of leprosy, oh, they look like hard rock guys, but the music just blows your brain. You know, that that's more, more what I like. Uh, that's, I, that's, that's very cool because, um, I think metal is one of the only genres where imagery and the, visual appeal that goes along with the music matters like the both of them need to go hand in hand it's very rare to see uh musical genres so dependent on the visual side of things right i mean th that's something that will appeal to people as youngsters too because it's something that they can see and it's something that spurs imagination it's not just the audio it's also this facet this visual facet of it yeah absolutely i think it still is There's so many bands now with with uh, with having uh, masks and weird makeup or <laughs> weird images or whatever um just to to kind of i mean the media was always very crowded but but it's never been more crowded than today so if you can do anything to just to to to, to get that 15 second of attention when people are scrolling through their feeds you're like oh look these guys are dressed up like dinosaurs or whatever <laughs> people would just react oh fuck that guy's a tyrannosaurus rex okay they're on my radar, you know, but I hope there's no band dressing up like Diamond. You know, but, but you do know my thing when it's just like super awesome band. They all have everything, but that's not enough anymore. You really need to to stand out in some ways. And, and I'm afraid musically is maybe not enough. And you need to be really outrageous today to, 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 to cut through the white noise in, in media. So I'm not surprised that, that there's more and more of these kind of image driven bands that have a big show with fire and lasers and explosions or whatever that's what you need you know so you kind of just walked straight into my next question and you know one of the things while i was doing research about you i came across the fact that your first band was called ghost yeah. um, and of course, the band that you just <laughs> described quite eloquently earlier is also sharing a name with that. So, you know, Tobias Forge, whatever he's calling himself now, whether it's the Cardinal or the Pope or things like that. Has there any, did you have any reason why they changed from Ghost to Ghost BC? Or uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wish, uh, I mean... Um... He say he didn't have any any clue about my ghost existing, and and fair enough. Maybe you could you could kind of before before we released the LP and the CD with our old stuff. I mean, it, it was it was so that I mean there was also other ghosts in the past, but I think the reason um, they had to change the name was some. Um, I mean, yeah. you, you can trademark <laughs> things, yeah. you know, and yeah. it was an infringement of a fucking deodorant or a yeah. or a sneaker i have no idea but um <laughs> yeah it would i'm it's still weird it's still weird to see when when the name is only printed on like a, a whatever once you see the logo it's not so weird but when you only see that ghost is in this magazine and it's written with normal normal alphabetic letters i think oh we're in it no we're not that's that's the <laughs> other ghost so, yeah but but uh, there was actually a really big uh, thing about 
my ghost or our ghost, I should call it. When we released the album, uh, one yeah. of the guys got us like seven pages in Swedenbrock, which is the biggest magazine in Sweden. And there was one page actually where the uh, Tobias Forge, the, the other guy, the other ghost cardinal <laughs> guy, he actually kind of talked a little bit about our ghost. It was kind of uh, of a coming together. Then they told him that we had a fan club and that we started in '83 and blah blah blah. So, and we said maybe we make a split single or split yeah. EP or whatever, you know, but ah, nothing really came of it, but, but I think it's That okay. That would actually be really interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah it would be quite yeah. interesting because you just have one band name on it. <laughs> yeah. <that's> yeah. True. <laughs> but so different ways of ghosts to sound. Yeah. Completely. But, Anyways. But I just have to continue with a couple of questions about your bands, just because we cannot ignore uh, it. I mean, Edge of Sanity is a band that, you know, you really made your name for. And how does it feel looking back at that legacy? I mean, there are probably people, kids today, you know, kind of getting into that music and listening to it. How does it feel? What was it like for, you know, back then? Because I'm sure when you started out, you never thought that, you know, so many years later, people would still be kind of listening to it or kind of the acclaim that you guys got for it. Oh, come on. That could very well have been the intention. <laughs> well, I think the way that the, the whole the whole thing about the way Edge of Sanity was, was formed, it was as far as you can come from any like calculated, let's form a band and be famous. You know, it was it was just a one off thing that I did during the recording session of another band. And we did that all the time because there were just some weekends where we didn't have the money to party. And then we just went to my um, rehearsal room. Where I had this little cassette recording studio and we made up projects, you know. And one of them just happened to be what later would be named Edge of Sanity. I don't think we even had a name for it. And we recorded that in November 89, uh, which is like 30 years ago. And I just felt that they were cool guys and I would like to be in a project with them. So I kind of made sure that after Christmas and all that, and once we got into 1990, that we kind of gave it a, a, a shot because we had recorded uh, four songs in an intro. And I think in just like, it was just something we put together, to be honest, to, to for me to growl on something. And they wanted to play something a little bit harder than than the hardcore crossover thing they were doing. So we were playing some kind of aggressive thrash with growls on it. It's actually pretty crappy, the first recording. But then uh, I, I got more and more involved with, with what later would become some kind of death metal sound. And we wrote the songs that are on the on the Kurnagia demo. Um, and, and that's when we really became a band. And of course, there, there was always like a wish for me to to kind of make my way into the underground because before that I was I was constantly writing bands I bought EPs or demos and I was sending them fan mail and I remember that that so many of the bands never replied you know mm -hmm. and I remember still to this day when I, when I was still waiting for the reply from fatal or recipients of death or whatever that I felt was so good I wrote them a fan letter never got anything I said fuck those guys you know when when I have a band or if I have a band that's ever in the position that that people write me and say this is good I will answer every single letter and that's actually what I did up until 1993 I think when I felt that every second letter was like a Xeroxed weird 
form letter for stuff. You know, it was not personal. It's like, hey, and then just a line and they put your band name on it. So say, this is this is more like begging for demos and CDs that they will later sell, you know. Uh, so then I said, okay, stop now with, with all the communication. But up until that point, for so many years, I must have spent a fortune in stamps, just writing all these people back and communicating, selling demos, getting demos back. I was in touch with so many, so many cool people in, in those early days. And I just just felt that when we make our name, I, I still kept all the all the all the time. The first time Age of Sanity appeared on a, on a flyer that we didn't put out. Someone was like tape trading, and he put our name on there along with other cool bands because he thought I have this demo and I want to do good tape trading. So here is my favorites at the moment and all that stuff. I've kept it. And I think, fuck, this is so cool. This is happening. You know, we are working our way into the underground and boom, then we had a record deal. And then we were working our way into that kind of world that was also not so easy to navigate like like the tape yeah. trading underground. But I, I, of course, I'm I'm still blown away by the reception. We are selling much merchandise still. Me and my wife have a company called Swana Merch that, that print official versions of, of all the stuff from Edge of Sanity and the reaction is just crazy. There's hundreds and hundreds of orders. Uh, I don't know. We have, must have sold more than thousands of shirts since we started, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I was just happy to sell the first 50, you know, but it's gone beyond that. And we are selling uh, LPs and CDs and they are orders from, I don't know, from Brunei or you have orders coming in from anywhere in the world. It's just super crazy. And of course, I'm psyched, you know, and uh, for such a short period of time that the band was really an active, living, breathing organism. But but still, we managed to make our mark. And I guess there is every now and then someone someone new growing up into the age where you are, you know, like, let's check out other kinds of, of music than just like the normal kiddie stuff, you know, and then they bump onto some edge of sanity thing. That's that's super. Yeah, good, good shit is always appreciated. Yeah, it, I guess it's one of the classics, if I may call it that. Yeah. Uh, another band I have to quickly, and I have to kind of touch upon this since we're talking, is, you know, a band that actually, when I was reading about it, started out as a joke, Bloodbath. So mm -hmm. tell me what was it like, because like the story I've read, and you can confirm if it's true or not, is that uh, Michael Ackerfeld actually recorded the demo, if I'm not mistaken, either Breathing Death or Nightmares Wet Fresh, uh, after a drinking session, and he was completely hungover. So did you guys even think that you all would make it as big as it is and the band would yeah. last so long? No, that was... Bloodbath was uh, never meant to be anything, really. I mean, the, the, the real story is that I was, um, I was working in a music shop at the time, and I was kind of um, in charge of all the of the technical stuff, like the studio equipment. And sometimes the, the best way to to learn a device so I could demo it for my for my customers, and also I had a little bit of an interest in it, maybe to buy it myself. So there was this Roland machine that just had come out, a 16-track hard disk recorder. It was the latest, hottest shit in like '98 or something like that. And um, 
I just felt, okay, when I record now myself on it, that will be one thing. But I would like to know what is it like when you record a full group? You know, you have all of the drum kit, you have a guitar and bass and maybe even some kind of scratch vocals. You have to give everyone headphones. And how, how does it hold up? You know, because that's really stressful for a machine like that. So I thought, who the fuck do I invite to do it? And then I just came up with this crazy idea that I, I should call Anders and Jonas from Catatonia, because I remember that they once told me years before that they wanted to start an American-styled death metal band called Bloodbath. And they even wrote something about it in the guest book when they were recording with Catatonia. So I just called them up and say, hey, I need to try this machine, blah, blah, blah. Would you and, and, would you and, and Jonas, you know, want to come and we, we form Bloodbath? I said, yeah, Mike can, can come too. You know, then we're like this death metal four-piece and we could, you know, just have fun, you know, like we were kind of friendly at the time and, and we still is in some ways. And um, they come over and we just went down to the studio and, and we wrote and recorded um, the first two songs that was Breeding Death and Ominous Blood Vomit. And then I made um, like a rough mix of it, you know, after we had recorded all the vocals and, and all that stuff, I, I made a cassette copy of the mix that was used up. Uh, and I thought I will mix it in a couple of days, you know. So uh, we, we wanted the band to be like a forgotten demo band that we just kind of leaked onto the internet because this was in the early times of, of Napster and file sharing and shit. So we just thought when when we pretend that this was recorded in this time when death metal was getting a bit stale, like let's say it was from 1992, it was like a Stockholm demo band and nobody gave a fuck because everything was about black metal. Anyway, we will just pretend it was from that period of time. I still have the, the fake thanks list, our fake names, everything. <laughs> and we were having such a laugh coming up with all the fake persons we would thank and Uh, you know, it was so much fun. And then the guys went home and, and, and Bloodbath was kind of, that was it, you know, for me. And anyway, I had tried the machine and that far it, it was working fine, you know. And, and then I went down to mix it a couple of days later and I pushed a few buttons too much and I erased everything and I had no backup. <laughs> Wow. So um, okay. I thought, okay, hard drive recording is a little bit fragile. You know, I'm maybe not ready for it yet, you know, uh, coming from tape based. And that was a really hard phone call to make. So, oh, sorry, guys, you know, that cool shit we recorded. I just deleted everything. So all we have now is a shitty cassette copy that, that was on, on, on a tape that Mike had brought with Bark at the Moon or whatever on it. <laughs> And I just kind of <laughs> taped over that. And I still have that the very cassette, actually. And... Um, so it was like, oh, what the fuck? Okay. Um, so then I said, okay, I will pay for your bus tickets or whatever. Please come back so we can re-record those two uh, because now I have a new machine I'm going to try. I'm not going to buy that piece of shit. You know, I want to try other shit, you know? So if, sometime <laughs> later they came back and then I think, okay, let's um, write and record one more song. And then we wrote and recorded Furnace Funeral, which was more of a Stockholm death metal vibe Uh, mm. But not really sonically. It was more like uh, the kind of riffing was something that could have worked in Sunlight Studio in like early 90. And those three songs then, they, they were actually properly mixed. And kind of the whole vibe a little bit was that um, to leak it onto the internet, blah, blah. That kind of that kind of died with me erasing that whole 
first session. So then it became something that that we just kind of had it for ourselves as as kind of a, a memory of, of, a, of a good time. But the guys were pretty early, especially Anders and Jonas, uh, because they were they were like employed musicians at the time, but you know, by themselves having only Catatonia. And they say, ah, oh, maybe we could release it. Maybe we could sell it, you know, make some money. But but I was really against the whole idea. But at the end mm. of the day, they say, okay, Century Media wants to release it. And and we have this uh, really cool uh, guy who, who make the, the album artwork, Axel Hermann, the same guy who did more golf and Asphyx. I said, oh, how about the fuck, you know? Let them have it, you know? And before we knew it, that thing just exploded because it was kind of the first death metal anniversary ever made it was like a 10-year thing i think or or close to this when, when stuff really started happening you know uh, uh-huh. eight, in the 80s or so and and um yeah by that time i had enough okay blood Mass was a one-off they sold it it was an ep fine but of course they started asking for a full-length album and i was against the idea for a really long time i didn't have the time i didn't have the wish i was actually trying to get out of metal altogether and just go full on with my progressive rock thing but you know shit happened and there i was writing death metal songs again so <laughs> and uh, yeah we kind of divided bloodbath into to three solo projects kind of in the way like jonas wrote four songs anders wrote four songs and i wrote four songs and then we mixed them up nicely and then you got that kind of vibe that that you could have on on some early hard rock bands like kiss for example they had like three or even four different writers and the, you yeah. each got like the flavor oh that's a song from that guy you know so i think we, we created a really varied album but my wish was that we we had the sound close to something like left hand path uh, because at that time it was completely out of fashion to use the hm2 pedal and just go all in and mm-hmm. have that kind of sunlight sound that was not happening at the moment so we were among the first to go down that path and bring that sound back to life again with Resurrection Through Carnage. And uh, yeah, that, that's how that one happened. And I think um, I think most likely there were some hangovers involved. And, and Mike <laughs> recorded um, all the vocals in my kind of office that I had at home. It was like, I don't know, like a bigger closet kind of thing where I had my computer and some shit. And um, he had a handheld microphone and he just growled the whole record in, I think, 12 or 13 hours straight. And he had never really heard any of the songs before. I just kind of told him, yeah, on this riff, you sing, bah, 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 bah. and then we <laughs> recorded it. Yeah, on this riff, you sing, bah, 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 bah. and then, you know, Mike is like a machine. He hears something once, and then he just kind of does it like he did it for 10 years already. He is amazing in that way as like a, uh, he felt a bit like a session vocalist for, for my stuff. I don't know if maybe the other guys, let him have more input, but I am extremely specific in the rhythm of the vocal. It must be uh-huh. every syllable must be exactly like I wrote it, or I'm not happy. You know, I'm kind of weird in that way. But but it's it's for me songwriting. It, it's not not fun. It's it's serious fucking hard work. And if if I wrote three syllables, then the word needs to have three syllables. End of story. You know, and um, yeah. So it it was. For Mike, I guess it kind of a, of a hard session, but but in the end, it turned out amazing. Yep, yep, it surely did. Um, let's let's make a let's move. Let's make a segue from your life as a musician to your life as a music producer, engineer, etc. 
Uh, how did you get involved in music production? What really led you to say, okay, I want to do this now? Well, it's again, my, my brother dog is to blame for this because uh, he was really early on always recording everything. You know, there are recordings of me from, I think, the late 70s where, where him and me is recording a song. Uh, I named it Time to Die. <laughs> and uh, it's <laughs> I'm just singing some, I think I was like five or six or something like that. But we are still not 100% sure when, uh, when it was from. I actually released... Um, like a do-it-yourself CD called Metal Collection Deluxe uh, that's available through the swanemerch.com homepage. It's the opening track of that one. It's just like 20 <laughs> seconds or whatever. And it's a really funny song because I even do a little bit of growling on it. Really, I'm really like portraying one of those evil, evil guys, you know? Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's pretty funny. And of course, it was for me straight on. Connection was like, okay, we're in a room, we're making music, let's record it and listen to it later in, in like third person. So that was that was there from day one. Always record shit. And by the time, I think uh, in the early 80s, my brother quit all the bands he was in and he bought one uh, of those kind of reel-to-reel -reel recording machines that you could kind of overdub on. And um, I remember he went to our summer house and he just recorded him playing all the instruments. And then he came home and played it to me and it was like so much oh overdubs, my. kind of a Mike Oldfield kind of vibe to the music. And I was like, fuck, this is what you can do. You know, when when you write a song and that's that's one thing, but then you record it and then you just kind of, you create this whole vision and you don't need anyone else to, to be involved, you know? So there it was really early on also with, with Ghost that we always recorded stuff. There's recordings from like 1984 of us hammering away. And then we tried with overdubs. We bought all kinds of cassette-based studios. There was like sound on sound or four tracks. And for me, it was always an extension of my musicality was recording shit. And it became even more and more important. So there, there are so many songs that, that I have that I just wrote to, to record them and mix them. That was the okay. main purpose of that song ever being created. And sometimes the songs turn out really cool. There's a few really cool riffs here and there. But I did it to try out a new microphone or new type of drum heads or I have no idea. And and that was that was how it all happened very organically. And all of a sudden you would get people saying, yeah, we, we heard this, uh, this demo you recorded with your band. Can we, can we also record in your studio? And I was like, what? I don't have a studio. I have a four track cassette recorder. Oh, okay. I thought you had a studio because it sounds like you have a studio. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, maybe, maybe I could have a studio. And that's, that's how it came to be that I recorded that band called FZTE, which is three, three fourths of, of Edge of Sanity. And I said, yeah, let's come and record in, in our rehearsal room and I will record your crossover band. And, you know, I get to see what it's like to record a band that I am not in. And and from that moment on, I think, oh, fuck, that's pretty cool, you know. And it kind of evolved from there to other local bands showed up. And, and before I knew it, there were bands coming in from, I would say, like a three, four hour car drive within Sweden, what was was also happening. And I was like, what the fuck? They come to record with me when there is other studios, maybe closer. But in this time, the, the price was, of course, extremely low, but nobody had any idea how to work with, with crossover, punk, hardcore, grind, death, thrash. But I was 
even playing that genre myself. And I had yeah. somehow sorted shit out and I was genuinely interested in getting the sound from Morris sound or sunlight. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know how you do that shit, you know? So it just kind of, kind of happened that, that I was, I was putting stuff out there. People just assumed they could come and record. And at, at one point it was just like overwhelming. I say, fuck, I have to quit school now and do this full time or I will, I will never forgive myself. There was an opportunity, you know, and okay. I took it and I did it for um, a really long time up until like 97. Then I was just fed up with the whole thing. And there was this whole change from analog to digital. And then I went out of it for a whole bunch of years. And then I came back, but focusing only on the mixing and the mastering. So what, what, uh, what led you to only focus on mixing and mastering? I mean, it, it clearly was a conscious decision. What were the reasons behind it? Um, first of all, it, it was, um, I don't like recording really. I don't like the whole, the whole thing because, um, do you I not, have, or did you grow sick of it? I, I think I like the, the fact that that guys came in the early times, they did demos. They recorded a couple of tracks. You kind of had everything ready the first day and then you mixed on the second and then, then it was bye-bye. That's my attention span. I mean, I have all kinds of combinations, ADD plus whatever, because I cannot really focus on anything for more than just a little bit. And once it came to this, that band started recording full-length albums and mm -hmm. we were doing the first kind of the sound check. And then we were spending so much time doing that recording bit. And all I wanted to do was get to the part where I could mix because that's, that's really where the fun is. I mean, recording and, and hearing a drummer play the song wrong for like the 50th fucking time. That's just fucking torture. You know, when all you want to do is mix. I know some people who love recording. They love the, the thing, the psychology, the vibe, this, and they don't like mixing because it means they need to, to kind of make decisions that are final. Like this is the kick drum sound forever. You know, they rather have someone else mix it for them, but I was never that one. I was dreaming of being able to only mix the stuff pretty much from when I started recording, but there was no way around it. There was, there was no format. I mean, I could mix stuff that was recorded at sunlight because they had the same machine, but that was it. That was like the only studio ever. And I think the mixing of sunlight was what made it so good. So there was never really anyone saying, Oh, we recorded in sunlight. Let's mix with this guy. No, that never happened. So I had to go through that whole shitty period and then be stressed out of my fucking brain and mix the record in like a day or two, you know? So I always wish, fuck, I wish I could only do this. And there was a few times where I, I would go down to the studio and I had a day off or two and I would just bring out some old tape and just mm. remix the record for my own learning thing. You know, how could you tweak this differently? And it's like, I wish it could always be like this. Only me, unlimited time and just experiment and do weird shit and that would be so cool and it just turns out that what happened with the with the file sharing and all that shit and internet getting better and better around the time when i felt that i might be able to pull that off it was november's doom actually an american band they kind of they kind of convinced me that i had to mix their album in 2004 but uh -huh. i was like oh i'm retired you know i don't do that for other bands i only do my own shit 
but they were like, oh, we, we used to work with Neil Kern on. And I was like, what? You, you used to work with, with, with him? He mixed some of my favorite records. You know, I think, fuck. And now they want to work with me. That was just like too much. It blew my brain. So I said, okay, I will do it. I will mix your album. And that was like, they sent me DVDs full of files and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then now I was just back in it. And before I knew it, some friends of theirs wanted me to mix their album also because, yeah, that guy is back. You know, that Edge of Sanity Dissection Catatonia Opeth guy, he's doing shit again. And we can send him files on DVDs, then later over the internet. And I could finally do this, what I wanted to do all the time. I could mix and nobody was there telling me what to do or wondering, well, you push that button, blah, 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 you know? And I could just send them the files over the internet. They could listen in their home stereo and say, oh, we like it, but the snare could be a bit more. And then they send me the comments in the email. I fixed the fucking snare, send shit back. And that was how I dreamt of shit being, you know? So what's not to love about it? I mean, it was, and now I have done it full time for, I don't know how many years. And it's, it's a dream come true. So I'm I'm glad you're saying that because you're one of the first musicians or people that we've spoken to who are like, yeah, the internet has been a great thing for us or kind of doing that. Yeah. 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 Without it, it would, would really, I mean, th- that's in the old times. I read about people who, who were doing this kind of thing already in the eighties, like Bob Clear Mountain and these, they had to pick up then 78 two inch tapes. They had to go through them. They have to align it only to mix something it was so much work. You need to to have this the right kind of gear. You needed this and that, and all was super complicated. And they sent then cassettes with the normal mail to someone, and they had to wait days to get feedback. And they thought it sounded weird because they had a bad cassette tape, you know. And it was like all chaos. And I think, fuck, that must have been a, a really you must have really loved to mix only if you did it in the 80s or even early 90s. But but these days, I mean. When you had better connection, you could probably even kind of mix in real time with with streaming in in the living room of of the client. I mean, there is such apps today, you know, not that I'm interested, but theoretically you could do it. And and it's like they were here, but but they are not. And all the time, oh, let's see how it is with a bit more symbols. And you just kind of 10 milliseconds later, the symbols are louder in fucking Connecticut or whatever, you know, (laughs) that's that's maybe the future how it is. But but I like to 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 have a lot of, of balls in the air at the same time, like three masterings, four mixes, and just kind of skip between them all, have a few of my own projects in the mix. And whenever there is, you know, that you can go from from mastering some really soft rock to mixing kind of sweet death metal, and you just kind of constantly reboot your brain. You're not like stuck in this two weeks with this one band. I'm always jumping between projects. And that would be pretty weird when one of the guys from one of the bands was kind of living with me and she's like, oh, you have to mix this shit again now. Yeah, sorry, you know. <laughs> so that's that's not working for me, you know. Yeah. Before we kind of get a little more to talking about your role as a mix and master engineer, just wanted to ask you a few really basic questions. Uh, first up, would you define yourself as an audiophile? No, I am not really an audiophile. I, I, there are certain there are certain things when it when it comes to to my my studio monitoring and that kind of stuff. I I need things to be in a certain way, and but but I am not so obsessed with with the cable or this and that. But but I am extremely obsessed with the way 
for example, that, that my monitors are positioned exactly 30 degrees angle at exact, I can, I can raise them like one centimeter and say, no, that doesn't work. And then lower them, you know, because I need to sit in what I consider to be for me, the perfect sweet spot. And also with, with headphones that, that just kind of work for me. I've had headphones that cost like five times the ones I've been using for the last 15 years. And, and I heard straight, no, I'm never going to like these guys. They are probably better in every way, but they are not the sound that I can relate to. I cannot say this is a good sound or a bad sound. So there are some audiophile vibes, but I, I do have a um, pretty, pretty kind of mid-level quality of, of anything from, from the hi-fi to core hi-fis. But I've met a few audiophiles in, when I used to work in, in the shop. It's like, I would say it's a disease, really. Audiophilia <laughs> is a disease. It's like, <laughs> these guys are insane, you know? <laughs> so I, a follow-up question to that is, you know, you talked about the headphones you tried out and stuff like that. What's the track that you, what's your go-to track when you're trying out new equipment? Um, it, it's a combination, actually, of, of a few. I, ha I have collected throughout the years a bunch of tracks that are all on the edge of something. They're like too sharp, too bassy, too scooped, too not scooped, too small, too wide. And and whenever I'm trying out something new, that there is like um, a combination of of listening through the, the the stuff in that folder. And it's all some of the songs are not really that good, but the sound is extremely good in some ways. Or the, it, it's an interesting production so to speak so i have all kinds of stuff and uh there is not just one track but i think uh, if i only had to listen to like one song and from that make a decision if i could be working with these things or not there's uh there's a record uh, called for all the right reasons from nickelback you can say what you want about their music but sonically it's just insane Especially uh, some of the stuff that's mixed by the same guy that, that did uh, some Metallica stuff. Uh, Randy Staub is his name. Uh -huh. and, uh, and, and there's, there's some, I mean, the, the soundscape is so violent and so scooped. There's so much bass. There's so much aggressive mid-range, yet still it works. There's so much snap on the drums, but they sound kind of acoustic and alive and, and crazy. And, and they, they kind of just lost all that for their later productions that got a little bit more kind of, they still sound very good, but they're a little bit too like uh, fake sounding in some ways, you know, but you still hear that the, this like the amps are cooking and everything is just so pumping. So there, there's one of those songs that, that I, that I always listen to because if that one sounds too nice or mm. just then it, then they, the speakers are lying to you. If you don't hear that drop, bass boom that is in on one of the breaks then you hear not the bass enough you know so i used to sell speakers uh, in the shop playing that song to people and uh -huh. and um some other and I, I, ju I just use it as a kind of a, an example of yeah listen in this speaker do you hear that drop bomb uh, no that's just like a snare drum no on on top of that one is something down there you know and then you switch to another more expensive speakers and all of a sudden they almost shit themselves because there's like a boom you know that was really popular with this whole new metal thing all this boom drops and shit 
And I said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You need to hear the whole sound, you know? So um, that would be my track to listen to because I know that one and how it can bite your fucking head off in the wrong speaker and how it can sound. I mean, if it sounds too mellow, then the, the speakers are not uh, truthful enough in the upper mid range, which I think is extremely important to have when you're mixing that kind of music that I am, you know? Okay. So now that we're like really warmed up about talking about sound as such, uh, here's a question for you. Do you think there's an objective definition of how metal should sound? And I ask this because as a producer, you are sharing what you think is the best for a particular song or an album, but the audience may not be able to listen to the things the way they are intended, right? Because at the end of the day, something is listening to it on YouTube. Somebody is listening to it through really shitty earphones. Some of them are listening to it through some really cool wooden cabinet speakers at home or something really expensive. So is there an objective definition of how metal should sound and should listeners care about that i think what what happened uh with with technology getting better and better uh and and also uh some new names coming onto the scene like my friend jens bogren for example he was mm-hmm. i chose i chose to work with him uh when he was really young and inexperienced because i heard in some of his early productions that, that he had a different outlook on sound in general than I had. And I wanted with, with uh, Nightmares Made Flesh that he mixed for Bloodbath, that I wanted it to sound like a rock guy mixed a death metal record. Because sometimes when you have an extremely violent sound, like we had with our HM2 guitar pedal sound, I just wanted the, the rawness and this vomiting crazy sound that's going on in the speaker i wanted it to be captured in in the best possible resolution and make sure that that you can see the slime going down whatever speaker you're listening to and it's just just be reproduced extremely well you know mm-hmm. some people they record brutally and they mix brutally and you end up with something that's really hard to listen to I, what I like about Jens Productions, what they brought to the table, and, and what I also try to bring to my own, is that the sound should still have a, a certain hi-fi quality to it, but the individual sounds can just ooze of, of rawness and be weird, but it doesn't really mean that they have to bite your fucking head off sonically Mm -hmm. you know so what i do all the time now i listen to the mixes in my cheap sony phone built-in speaker and it still sounds pretty good actually i hear everything was going on and and i I, that's kind of one the worst check you know and then you have car stereos you have all kinds of of, i listen to all kinds of, of headphones and so but at the end of the day i'm so happy with my speakers and the way that that i connect with them that i don't have to listen anywhere anymore when it sounds good here at a certain level of volume, then it's going to sound good everywhere. And I think the more people realize this, that also mix metal, that it's all about kind of not fucking up the ears from your clients or, or from the people listening to it, but, but you can still present a really evil soundscape, but it doesn't have to be sharp. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable to listen to, you know, so much bass that, that, the the things are just pumping the the music itself must contain that vibe you don't have to overdo it you know so i think what i like about this the the metal sounds of today is that that it sounds uh, 
it it can sound too clean, of course. It still needs to be a little bit of a rawness there, but you don't have to overdo it, you know? Like some of the early Black Metal productions, they were just fucking your eardrums up, like, so bad. <laughs> so <laughs> the, I think I think it's hard to it's hard to to answer your question but i think some production like uh, like what jens did with creator or whatever just like a fucking good sound but it's still aggressive that that's really what i i like to listen to okay uh, how would you define a good mix and are there any rules as such that you follow for metal subgenres or metal's different genres well i think one of the things that set me apart a little bit maybe from other mixers is that I always ask for a reference mm -hmm. from the band. And it doesn't have to be any album that I have mixed. It can make things, you know, easier. But it's like sometimes I say, if, if you could take all the files and you could put it in an app and you could push a button and you would get the sound from one record that's already out there, which record would you choose? Would it be... Master of Puppets? Would it be Ghost Reveries from Opeth? What what album would you dream of having your album sound like? And at the end of the day, the band agree on, yeah, this this kind of vibe of, of the sound of that record, the amount of bass, mid and treble, the way everything interacts, th this record. So I start with that to, to kind of copy that sound is my, my first thing. I always A, B, to it all the time it's always a similar guitar sound similar kick similar snare but at the end of the day it always turns into sounding like a really good sound but nobody is gonna say oh that sounds exactly like the latest whatever record you know mm -hmm. no because the songs maybe it's not even really the same genre they, they pick the sound they like they like the curve of it they like the vibe of it and that sets all my mixes apart so sometimes when I put together like a playlist or whatever, I think, fuck, they all sound so different, but, but, but still the, the bands keep coming back, you know, and because I did their sound for them, it's not like they come to me for me to adapt their music to my template. It's the other way around. I have no template. I love the idea that I get to kind of start over and just whatever they think is the ultimate sound, I will try to create that for them. So when someone would have like a playlist on Spotify and they listen to the reference record from these guys and then a track from their record that I mixed, it will be kind of the same quality, you know, the same vibe. You know, people think, oh, cool, it's another good song, good sound, you know, and nothing. I don't think anyone will say, oh, it sounds just like the record before it. No, that, that's kind of my general guidelines. And I, I like a mix that you could hear everything at all times. That's like my motto. I don't like it when I hear a mix and there comes a really big part and then the snare drum is just gone. I have to guess, is this guy now playing a snare drum mm -hmm. or is he just playing cymbals and bass drum here? You know, I don't like it when, when something is mastered so hard that shit just disappears or gets swallowed. I like everything to be there at all times. And I have developed some pretty crazy ways to, to get there, but... You know, I like that. It's just something that was was always the case in the earlier times on really good sounding records. You can always follow the bass. You can follow this. You can follow whatever. And and there have been some metal albums where everything is just kind of a mess, you know, and and it's hard to to follow what they are doing. And um, I guess it's a case of too many cooks, you know, more me, you know, everyone trying to mix their own little solo record. But you have you have to make kind of a compromise somewhere, you know, and and just have a wide ass soundscape so everything fits you know it's it's really important
just to kind of switch things up a little what's your ideal uh, listening environment for metal and do you have any recommendations for an easy setup that you know anyone listening to this podcast can set up on their own i i would say that that um the best way really to listen to to really good productions is actually through headphones I would not recommend anyone to mix over headphones because there's something with the with the phantom center which makes it really hard to yeah. balance things properly. But but find, I mean, what I was lucky to do without really knowing it was that I found a, a pair of headphones. Um, I don't really know how far back in time, but but pretty pretty long time ago, uh, and I just listened to everything on them i also listen to music i just listen to when i would say oh I, i must go now and try the latest new roland keyboard in a music store or whatever i brought my headphones with me i connected them because there i have a reference point you know and i think the best way to listen to metal is to 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 go to uh, the, the biggest shop you have that have like 10 15 different headphones and just ask them to play one of those songs that you know just sounds so amazing and then just ask them to switch through until you feel that wow this is the sound that i would have mixed if i was a mixing guy this is how it all comes together for me you hear everything from the deepest bass to the mid-range to to the high end and just kind of stick with those as your your thing when you just want to get swept away by music close your eyes and just be in the moment i personally find headphones to be the best because you take the room out of the equation which is sometimes the hardest thing it, it is the room itself it's just full of nodes and full of weird you know stuff you know rooms are, are generally square shaped with really much shit going on especially in in the below 100 hertz area you know so um i i say i have some really expensive in-ear things custom molded from uh, uh, Jerry Harvey audio in America. And um, when they were still a perfect fit, which is, of course, uh -huh. the ears change a little bit, but that was like the best sound I ever heard in my life. You know, and, and it was one of those, one of those moments when I listened to, um, I think it was actually the first Witherscape record that I, I, I just did some mixing of it. And then they uh, appeared in the post. I thought, oh, cool. Now I want to listen to, to my, my new, in ears i just put them in and i connected them to my phone even i think and 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 my my reaction when the song started was just like i kind of sc didn't scream really but it was like wow that was the sound i made because i had never heard sound so good it was so weird because i mean it could have been any record it just happened to be my own that sounds kind of okay but sound was just so amazingly awesome because it was all in phase it was all perfect down to the deepest fucking bass it's just this super expensive in-ears that's also but it's it's not for everyone those expensive things but that's really good sounds when you have really those in-ears because they're molded you know from your ear canal you get the whole head becomes a subwoofer uh -huh. it's just so amazing how that sounds but you know it's either that or really good uh over ear headphones that I think and when it comes to speakers it's just like a trillion different and I'm honestly not that into hi-fi I have Genelex with the subwoofer as a hi-fi so <laughs> they, they sound kind of cool all right 
Uh, I'd like to go back to something that you said at the very beginning of our chat, and that's about songs that don't do anything to you, like songs that you said are emotionally void. How do you deal with this as a professional? Because as a professional, you'll be getting a lot of shit sent to you too. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact is that um, I kind of got used to that pretty early on, you know, that <laughs> my, my music taste is extremely strange. And and the, what I connect to in a track is, is sometimes I don't even know it myself. It, it's kind of connected to my musical DNA. And there are just some some other composers out there that seem to have a similar structure on how they like to do things, you know. And I I completely focus on my job of of making that sound, even if I think it's a terrible song. I want it to sound as good as possible because if it sounds fucking awesome from a sonic point, it's a little bit worse than if it's a sucky song with a sucky sound, you know. <laughs> and um, I just still to this very day, I, I don't really get too often this that I really, that I really truly like a song from an album that I mix enough to like put it on my own mixtape or whatever, you know, that happened maybe once a year. And sometimes it's only a session, section of a song or whatever, but I'm a musical snob, you know, I have my, my songs that I could listen to until I die. I don't really need to discover any new bands or songs. I'm just so happy that bands still want to work with me as a mixing and mastering engineer. And I do my very best to connect with the music as much as I can and just try to find what's in there that I could relate to, you know? And yeah, I admit, sometimes it can be pretty rough when it's like out of time and out of tune, but there is no budget to fix it. I just I just have to go to work, you know? And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a job that I enjoy doing, you know? I, there was also so many times in the old days when I... I had to go to work and that meant selling fucking flutes or whatever in, in a music shop that mm -hmm. I didn't really enjoy at all, you know? And I just kind of did it to make, to make a living. And I'm, you know, fortunate to work with mixing and mastering music for a living. And, and yeah, I cannot sit here and expect all the time to have kick-ass world-changing songs, especially not in the genre that I'm working with, which is very much heavy metal and more and more evil you know when my personal music taste is more in the aor pump rock kind of world so yeah maybe i maybe i'm lucky you know that i have my personal musical preferences are so far away from this what i work to all the time i mean i still still love the death and thrash or whatever when it's good you know but um i cannot can kind of detach myself from that kind of musical quality and just focus on getting it to sound kick-ass. And when I would constantly sit and be annoyed of, oh, that riff is so bad, I cannot work. How am I supposed to get through this song when the bass is so boring? I don't mm. do that. I just kind of, this is, the, this is the music from the band. Just do your fucking job of making it sound kick-ass to the band. And that's what I do. All right. Uh, do, do you keep track of music trends? I mean, we know the way music is consumed has changed over the last decade. Uh, has your role and what you do, um, has that changed to suit tastes or something to that sort, uh, to suit trends? I mean, now you have stuff like ASMR music and that music has to be produced in a very different manner. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? 
Um, I think I, 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 I'm pretty saved from, from the changing trends. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that, that, that I don't, uh, had like, um, a surprise hit with some weird genre that includes a lot of loops and strange things where you are kind of, um, expected to, to bring a lot as a musician to, to mix something like do your own inputs with weird effects and whatever. I'm happy that I'm kind of a sonic handyman you know i i have the tools that just bring me the stuff and say build something you know and i know how to do that pretty well and it's i do really much still that it's death metal stuff pretty much or or this progressive metal there's kind of kind of that doom vibe a little bit that there's you know i've had success with some bands and it kind of kind of brings also the following in that genre that there is um it used to be a lot of black metal at one point because of the success of bands like dissection and marduk and so and i i did also a lot of of death metal because of the success of my own band mm-hmm. and bands so i like i said I'm, I'm really happy that i am i'm pretty far away from from the trends mm-hmm. what's going on um and pre- pretty solid metal based clients Right. I know we've been talking to you for over an hour. So just to kind of wrap it up with a quick couple of questions. Um, the last release from you as a musician was uh, with Escape the Northern Sanctuary. Can we expect to hear any more music from you soon? Um, yeah, I'm kind of having a little bit of a holiday from being a musician for, for a while, like I had once. I think from 2004 up until I started uh, 2010. I, I like the idea. Uh, I mean, I, I am privileged enough to to be able to feel that I have really nothing more to, to give the people who listen to my music at the moment. And I don't want to disappoint them with, with any crap to fulfill a contract. I, I did plenty enough of that shit in the 90s, you know. So after the Northern Sanctuary, I just kind of felt that, okay, I've taken every fucking idea that I had left over since God knows when, went through all the tapes, all the hard drives, and I just picked all the goody bits that is still unused. And I just kind of made them all work for the Northern Sanctuary. And I felt so fucking empty afterwards. And I think this is, this is now time again for me to just kind of to leave things and let the good shit come. Like during all those years, when I didn't really work that much um, with new music, there was all the time you sat down by the piano or you picked up a guitar, there was always one or two really good things. And you just didn't go on working with them. You just recorded them on your phone or whatever. And then when you feel, there's just this moment and you feel now, now I can do something. Then you go through all these old recordings and you pick and you get inspired by that old riff from five years ago. And you just kind of, you know, because I think people like yourself who are really music fans, you would hear if I'm inspired or not, or if I'm just going through the motions. And there's actually a couple of songs written for the Northern Sanctuary where I felt that I was just going through the motions. It's like, I cannot release the album in this way, because those two songs are just like B-sides. They are boring fillers. And I promised myself that when I did the Century Media deal, there would be no fillers. All the songs would be kick-ass or there would be no fucking album. So 
I said to myself, I have to do something because something is not right here. And then I threw these two songs out and then I wrote The Northern Sanctuary, the epic title track. And then everything just fell into place because then every song on that album had an identity and was his own thing. It was not just like another one of those, but not as good, you know. They were all like separate things. And I want that, you know, if I ever do anything again uh, with one of the projects I've done stuff with before, it needs to be as good or better than what's already out there. And uh, what I am doing is that I'm working on on a, a project called Second Sky since the turn of the millennium, pretty much. We recorded the drums for it in 2004 and again in 2009. And I actually worked a little bit with it today. And it's one of those um, albums. It's, it's an album that sounds a bit like those mixtapes my brother made for me. It's kind of a pomp rock, uh, prog light, AOR kind of vibe. And it's just that I don't really have any budget for it. So I always have to do it during downtime. And there's, you know, I had all the vocals recorded, but then all the lyrics kind of lost their purpose because they're now like 15 years old. And I'm another person. I feel differently about certain things so i just have to rewrite all the lyrics and of course re-record all the fucking vocals but but i'm on it you know but once that one is ready that will be the next musical release and i have to focus on that one with with whatever little spare time i have left with my ears intact and just don't want to sit on the sofa and watch netflix after a day of death metal you know that's what i will be working on until it's ready and it's going to take a couple of years, but but that's my baby. I want that one because I know, to me, it will be the best thing I ever did. And I want it to be that for me. And I honestly don't care if anyone else thinks so, but I do it for me, that record, you know? So uh, it's not like I am not working with my music, but it's not going to be one of those. I do it for a couple of weeks and then it's ready. I release it, I do interviews and then do another one. That kind of phase is it's not happening at the moment. So, yeah, I'm just doing my kind of mixing and mastering. And then whenever there is time and I'm inspired, I work on my second sky thing. And once that is ready, that will be released. And, uh, yeah, there's always a little bit stuff like the unicorn stuff came out. The ghost album came out. I did release some really good stuff on, on Bandcamp, for example. So, but it's all stuff from the past that I have kind of remastered or remixed. And that's how I got out of the hole the last time. I just kind of transferred all the tapes. I remixed. I did all stuff to kind of constantly put my own music from the past in my face and have to work with it, have to deal with it. Not just listen to it, but really do something with it. Remix it or remaster it or, you know. And and slowly you kind of coax yourself into to the writing mode again, picking up the guitar and sit down by the piano. But like I said, at, at this point, I, I owe it to myself and also to Peter, who is my co-pilot in Second Sky, to finish that fucking record. But it needs to be perfect. And it's going to take time. Right. So we're really looking forward to Second Sky. And just to kind of wrap it up, uh, is there any projects that you're working on that you can talk about at uh at least ones that you can mention you mean my own or the mix stuff the mix mix i can talk about everything i think um <laughs> and I, <laughs> what are you the uh, most excited about yeah well th- there's so much i mean all the records i've done in in the last time i've, I've been really lucky to to have 
Uh, I mean, I better actually go on, on my homepage and, and see my list here because I, I it's so embarrassing when I, I forget really good shit. So what I've been working with lately that that I find yeah. um, extremely exciting when I, I, I don't go super far back in time, it's uh, the new Entrails record. It, it's a 10-year anniversary for me and Jimmy. Entrails is this kind of Swedish death metal band. They mm-hmm. existed while the death metal thing was still cooking in the early 90s, but they kind of did a demo and then kind of disappeared and they reformed. So that one is really good. And then I, I did um, a record with a guy called Cohen Hefts, which is uh, really hard to pronounce. <laughs> He's a, a Dutch drummer. He's super famous in in uh, in, in Holland and Benelux. Uh, he recently played with John Petrucci and his band. So that's the kind of level of musicianship. He just did a solo record called Leo, which is so fucking amazing. It's kind of kind of uh, the latest uh, dream theater mixed with a little bit of the one they did before, more theatrical. And it's about uh, the death of his father that he never knew. And it's such an amazing record that I kind of get goosebumps only talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, check that one out. And then I did Ill Disposed. It's a band from Denmark that was also around in, in the early times of the death metal. Um, I was really happy that they chose me for that kind of a comeback record. And then I mixed um, a Mexican band called Luz Bell, which is really famous in Mexico. Um, and then I'm currently working with uh, the new Revel in Flesh, which is kind of like Entrails. It's kind of an homage yeah. to the old Swedish, but but they do it from a view of a German, while Entrails yeah. do it from the view of a Swedish. So it's it's got a little bit different sound to it, but still very good. And then there's the new Sentient Horror album, which is also kind of Swedish death metal, but made in the view from an American. So it's it's all got their own little flavor, but it's all kind of similar uh, aggressive soundscape to it with the HM2 boss pedal all the way to the max. Um, I'm also doing a 30th anniversary thing with Incantation, uh-huh. mixing two new songs and a remastering like 358 million songs from their back catalog <laughs> you know i've lost touch of how many songs but it's like so much stuff there's live stuff there's demos there's kind of they they are one of those bands oh we have a split flexi can we can you mix this one song for us like okay and i don't know how many of those they, they did you know so but they're getting all that stuff kind of uh, uh collected i guess yeah and, and that's kind of the stuff that i did just kind of in in the recent past so to speak um that i'm i'm extremely excited about but you can go on unisound.se and see all the shit i did for for a really long time but there's stuff coming up uh, on thorns i lay from greece will send their files now any day that's also a really really good kind of doom band thing and uh, there's uh, i just did um Worth mentioning, there's a band called Wilderun or Wilderun. I don't really know how to pronounce it. It's an American band that I mixed. I just uh, bounced out their uh, backing tracks of all the orchestral stuff for their live shows. And the album is still unreleased, but I must say it's one of the best albums I ever worked on. And it was then mastered by Jens Bogrian. And I just wish they find a label and release that album because it's so amazingly fucking awesome. It's just crazy good. And um, everyone should check them out. Even, okay. yeah, I don't know, or make sure that they get a good deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. Great. So, wow. It, it's been great 
chatting with you, Dan. I'm really glad we finally got the time to do this. And yeah, uh, anything else you want to add, Animesh? No, no, not yet. really. I feel that we can we can talk a lot more, but yeah, it's it's the end of our workday, and I yeah. I'm I'm a bit pooped at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, yeah, I, mean, I I once made an interview that was eight hours straight, so <laughs> I can I can talk, but uh, now it's yeah. okay. I think also for the listener, you should should keep things. Uh, you can edit whatever you feel is is too much crap. Also, no, 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 no. it's not. In it's, general, ju- I just just. Uh, I really yes. enjoyed this, and I hope you you enjoyed talking with us. Yes, of course. Who doesn't enjoy talking about their own stuff? It's <laughs> such an ego boost, you know, all the time. It's it's super. And um, hey, by the yeah. way, you 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 started off by saying who gives a shit. We still do give a shit. So, yeah, I know. So. It's it's wonderful, and uh, it's a little bit crazy. But but I do. I mean, you can never push enough that they should check out the SwanaMerch.com page for Edge of Sanity merch. We have some really cool, uh, never before printed <coughs> T-shirts coming out in a little bit that I think can awesome. excite some of the really old school Edge of Sanity fans. And there's the Bandcamp SwanaMerch.Bandcamp.com for all this super weird stuff that I, I put out there. Uh, that I just remastered and so and yeah, yeah, Unisound. I work with anybody, you know. It's don't don't be afraid. Just send a request and we'll see if we can come up with with some good mix or mastering or whatever. Awesome, awesome, great stuff. Right. Uh, Thank you so much, Dan. Good. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
that's it from this episode yeah hope you guys enjoyed the chat uh, yeah fuck guys if you don't <laughs> 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 yeah but how do you listen to your metal why don't you let us know are yeah. we doing it wrong is dan swano doing it wrong is dan swano doing it right are we doing it right what do you think what are your views how are you feeling today a lot of questions only answers that you can give us so please do write into us we are at honza pod on twitter and i'm trend crusher on twitter i'm at asmoani on twitter again so yeah we Goodbye. look forward we look forward to hearing from you guys honza yep. honza